book. We're coming close to the end. And uh, I, for one, have, have really enjoyed the study. As I have said about other passages, um, sometimes it's difficult for me as I, I try to consider all that we are going to look at and uh, just try to look at the church calendar and all those sort of things. It's, it's challenging to uh, like break down the passage before I've done all of the, the study. And so, um, but I, I have to do that in, in kind of scheduling ways. And so uh, there's a lot of sermons that could be preached out of the text that we are, but, I, but I'm just going to do one today. So we're going to look at all of chapter 12 um, today, and there's like three sermons in the first two verses. So uh, I hope that, that the Lord will be honored by our time today as I think about the reality that Jesus is better, right? Jesus has, has laid the foundation for our faith. I even think about how last week we saw person after person after person throughout the Old Testament and who, is, who God gave faith to over and over. It's by faith, right? By faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Rahab. Over and over. These, these like men and women that we kind of look to as, as ones who lived out their faith. And, and yet, with that, there was a responsibility that we have then. How do we live out our faith? What, what does it look like for us to, to stand firm on that cornerstone that we just sang about? To find ourselves holding fast to the, the one who is the better foundation. He has certainly laid a foundation for us. And so we find that, in fact, in just a few moments, we'll look to the three steps that we need to take that will help us as we uh, lean heavily on Jesus. Look, though, with these, with these two first verses of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Moses just read that to us a moment ago, and now we see it again. And I, I want to, to give you this, maybe a, a little point, uh, a note here, uh, right? So it's it's just a continuation. We have a habit of forgetting what came before it, right? When we, because we do chapters and verses. And so we have a, a habit of forgetting all that, that we just read, all that we just studied last week. And so when it says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it is describing those men and women that I just named. Abraham and Rahab and Sarah and Noah and Moses over and over. But it doesn't say here to look to them. It doesn't say look to Moses. It doesn't say look to Abraham. It doesn't say look to Rahab or Sarah. And, and what it also doesn't say is look around you. Look at the brothers and sisters that you have in Christ. Because remember who he's writing to. 
He's writing to people who were currently being persecuted. So in some ways it would have made sense. Hey, look, look at your brothers and sisters who are struggling with you. Find encouragement and hope that, that they're walking this journey with you, that, that they have linked arms with you. And that like when you look around this room, right? I think about the, the brothers and sisters that I know in this room that are walking through hardship and difficulty. And I, at times when we are singing praises, I look around. I, you're allowed to do that, by the way. Uh, but I, I look around and I think, praise God, they are worshiping the king even though things are hard for them. Even though they just lost a loved one. They're raising their hands in praise. They're singing songs of joy even, even though uh, their marriage is struggling. They're, they're still giving God praise. Even though their child is wayward, they're still giving praise to God, right? But this doesn't say, look to your brothers and sisters. It doesn't say, looking to those around you that you can find encouragement from. Looking to Jesus, it says. Look to him, who is the founder, who is the, that cornerstone, the one that everything else is laid upon, the, the perfecter of our faith. Look to him. So when we consider the, how it is that we're supposed to live out our faith, this always begins with looking to Jesus. So I would, I would argue that this first step is to look to Jesus as you pursue holiness. Look to Jesus as you pursue holiness holiness, right? It is, I've mentioned even in the last few weeks that it has been increasingly a burden for me, a healthy burden to be reminded of our need for living in righteousness, living in and living out the perfections of Christ. It is not, uh, it's not, and we'll see this in a minute, but it's not sufficient for us to simply talk a good talk. We are called to live out the righteousness that we are clothed in. How do we do that? Well, this scripture tells us, lay aside the weight of sin. Verse one, right? Let us all lay, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Makes me think of a Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody ever, y'all know Pilgrim's Progress? Some of you know it better than others probably, but Pilgrim's Progress is a good one. And uh, there's a kind of the main character is a guy named Christian. And, and Christian carries this burden on him for a good portion of the book. I remember watching the cartoon when I was a kid. Like there's been a new cartoon made, but I remember the old cartoon. And uh, Christian had, it wasn't like a, it wasn't just like a backpack. It was just like this giant boulder on his back. And, and he, you know, as he was walking through this, this journey, this pilgrimage, finally he gets to the, the cross. And it's there at the cross when he turns his life over to Christ, surrenders himself, that that burden rolls off. He's finally no longer like having to hunch over, carry this heavy weight. I don't, uh, as I, before I say this next story, I want to give a, like a clear statement so that you are not misled. I am not what you would call a trekker. I'm not a hiker. I'm not a camper. I'm not an outdoorsman. Like, 
I have done all of those things, but just because you've done them doesn't mean you are one. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you slept outside one time, you're not a camper. Like, that's not how that works. Like, one time you, you made your way, like, through, through the, the woods and you found the baseball that you hit in it. Like, that doesn't make you a hiker, right? So, uh, just, just to be clear, I am not a trekker. But, as many of you know, a few years ago, Gino and Kylie and I, uh, with some others, we did. We went trekking in the Himalayas and, uh, yeah, it was hard. It was, it, was, it was not, none of us are trekkers. Uh, I, I don't think either of them would claim that either. But uh, I, we, we, we had to carry our, all of our stuff on our back. And I remember, so I, I carried this 30-pound pack, and it had anything that I might need in it. It didn't have everything I wanted in it, but it had everything I needed in it. And I remember every day, I hiked with that 30-pound bag strapped to my back. And each night, the amount of relief that was felt when I unbuckled the straps and like took it off was unparalleled. Like it was even better than just sitting down. Like just the the like actual taking that weight off. And guess what? Like those packs are designed for you to carry heavy things all day long. So they, they do, they have these extra buckles and extra padding and they're, they're breathable, which I don't know what that means, but like they're breathable and you, you have all this stuff. And so it's, it's positioned in just the right way uh, so, that, so that it's easier for you to carry, so to speak. But you know what? Our sin does not work that way. It's not so convenient It's not strapped on with nice, comfortable straps and buckles that are padded and that are breathable. We stack up our sin in the most awkward of ways because we are not meant to carry such a weight. So lay it aside, put it down, give it to Jesus. See, I can, I can promise you this. Uh, I would not have been fast anyway. I was, I was not able to run with endurance while carrying that 30-pound bag. And you will not be able to run with endurance either when you carry that sin. Remember, you cannot remove it as easy as I unbuckled the straps. It's Jesus that takes the weight from you. We look to him because he's the one that actually takes it off. You see, I don't want you to think that sin is just not difficult. Sin is a legitimate struggle. So don't don't minimize it. Don't make it less than it is. Don't call it just like a, a, a problem or that you messed up. Yeah, we messed up. We messed up so wickedly that we sent Jesus to the cross. Like we deserve eternal separation from God. Like we messed up. We sinned. Call it what it is. That's what, that's what we do too often. Listen to verse four. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's, that's what's described. Some of, some of us no longer struggle with sin. But let me, let me be clear. 
If you are not struggling with sin, it is because you lost. Right? We, we get up and fight a battle day after day after day. And it is by the righteousness of Christ that we win that battle, but it is a battle that we must wage war against. Like a sin, like sin is not something that you just like kind of pass her by. So if you are one who's sitting here today comfortably saying, I don't struggle with sin, then brother, sister, you're in it. You've just succumbed to it. You've just given up. Like this is, this, is, this is why it is so necessary for us to look to Jesus. And, and here's the reality. Holiness, like the perfections of Christ, being set apart is necessary for people to know who Christ is. Right? Look at verse 14. This is not original with me. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. People, uh, people must match words and actions. Or it just doesn't work. This morning, I, uh, I saw on our calendar that we are praying. So there's a different country we pray for, right, every week. And this, this week, we're praying for uh, Myanmar. And that is formerly Burma. And uh, it made me think of Adoniram Judson, first missionary there, from American missionary, and his, his willingness to sacrifice. I mean, it, to make sure that the, that the Burmese people knew the gospel. He's completely unreached, unaware of anything truth in Scripture. His desire to translate scripture while living in terrible conditions. These, these are things that are flooding my mind. He lost family members, like children, a wife, and, and he was without friends at times, months at a time. But you see, it wasn't just his translation that won people. It wasn't just his willingness to suffer. It was the holiness of Christ resonating in and through his life that allowed others to see the Lord. So that when he did translate the scripture, he held it up next to himself and said, this is, this is Christ in me. So yes, you can see it and, and, and don't misunderstand me. We need the translated scripture. Don't misunderstand me. We need the, those that are willing to suffer. We need to be willing to suffer and sacrifice. But we can't do that and then live unholy lives. Because here's what happens. If your actions do not match our, your preaching, the world will know that you are a fraud and the world will ignore you and even hate you all the more. They'll look at Christianity and say it's, it's fake. It's absurd. You know what's absurd? It's to think otherwise. It's to think that we would know Christ and not seek to make him known. That we would know that the holiness and righteousness of Christ and not seek to, to have his holiness cover us, to live in his holiness. It's not easy though, is it? 
Holiness is, is difficult for us. It, it is uh, a challenge. So, again, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus as we endure challenge. You know, why would we look to him, though, right? Of course, we look to Jesus. He's comforting to us. But why, why would we look to him? I think about uh, whether it's in sports or it's uh, even at work. Like when you're getting trained to do something, you want to be trained by somebody who has done it before. You want to be, uh, if, you're, if you have a coach, you want a coach that has played the game, maybe even at the highest level, Right? The better they were, hopefully the better they are at, at getting you to that level. You want a, a, a piano instructor, teacher, to be able to play the piano, right? You want somebody who has actually played the game, played the instrument, done the task before. And, and so look at verse three. Consider him, him, Jesus, who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look to Jesus, because Jesus went through the hardship. Jesus endured the cross, verse 2. He endured the, the, the cross, despising the shame. He, in, he went through that. Now for us, whether it's with whatever activity it is, it does take discipline, and discipline is necessarily painful. I don't, I don't know that we all like that thought, but I want you to, to hear like, why discipline has to hurt at least some. So, so look at verses seven and following. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there from whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have heard earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When I think about that last verse, I don't, I don't know, parents, maybe you could correct me later, but I would guess that it doesn't happen at your house that if you ground your child, send them to timeout or whatever, the, take their phone away, that they say, thanks, Dad. Really appreciate that, Mom. Thank you for taking away my favorite item. No, they say things like, you're taking away my life! <laughs> right? They, right? They, they maybe say it in a different way. I don't know. But, but they're not usually super pleased with the punishment. Like discipline, like for the moment, it seems painful rather than pleasant. But I hope that it's through that discipline that maybe they don't become repeat offenders. They don't do the thing again and again and again. And so maybe, 
maybe like 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, parents, your kids will say thank you. Maybe not. Uh, I, I don't know, but, but I, I have been thinking about this discipline idea. And there's this past week, I was lis- listening to a sermon that I thought was particularly helpful. And, and the, the preacher there says this, when thinking about hardship and discipline, he says that divine discipline is hardship that God allows us to go through by his merciful hands and his sovereign knowledge so that we can gain something we could not gain without that hardship. Hear that again, divine discipline, something that God allows by his merciful hands and his sovereign knowledge. He's not out of the picture. He's not unaware. It's not like he's like, oh, you're going through something hard and I had no idea, right? This isn't, he, is, he is aware. He is even allowing for it to happen so that we could gain something that we could not gain without that hardship. This is kind of that no pain, no gain mentality, right? Think again, stick with me on sports. Maybe even think about like personal trainers. So in fact, okay, hey kids, what I want you to do uh, is draw your favorite sport or something that would represent your favorite sport. You could draw a football or you could draw like a baseball field or a basketball or a goal or uh, whatever it is. Draw your favorite sport. And remember how hard practice can be sometimes. How it's like, it's not quite as fun as the game, but it's, it's hard, but it, it makes it worth it when you win the game, right? So if, if you have a personal trainer, they would plan your workout based on your needs, right? So they're going to tell you like how much to lift and like every day they're going to tell you the next thing to do, what exercise, what, uh, what, what weight, how many times, how many reps, how many sets, all of those kind of things. If a professional athlete took that same exercise plan that was designed for you and they tried to use it for themselves, they would lose their job, right? Because what's been designed for you would not be sufficient enough for them. Like you're, despite what you might think, you are not a professional athlete unless there's something I don't know, okay? And so you're not quite there yet. But in the, in the same way, if you took the training plan of that professional athlete and you're going to apply it to yourself, well, you would die, okay? You are not going to make it. It is not going to help you. It's not going to be beneficial for you. You see, it is... It is necessary to have some amount of pain in order for that to gain, right? Like it's, it's like, you know you worked out when you're sore the next day. You really know you worked out when you're sore two days later, right? It's like, uh, you, you know this, that, that's, that, oh, it's working. It's doing something. See, it is, it is necessary to have such pain. But think, think about not just a personal trainer, but your heavenly father who knows what you need in order for you to grow. Knows what to take you through. Knows what exercises you must endure. Remember again, unless you hurt your body, you will hurt 
your body, right? The reason for physical work is so that, not, not just so that you're sore, but so, so later you won't actually, like you'll, you'll be in shape. You'll be able to endure. You'll be able to make it through. No pain, no gain. Sticking with that personal trainer thought, if you're eating a donut and your personal trainer comes in and sees you eating the donut, they're going to take the donut away. But if your personal assistant, right, if they walk in and they see you eating a donut, right, if they take the donut away, we got problems. They're supposed to like bring you more donuts, right? But isn't, isn't that really the issue? That we see God more like our personal assistant who will give us whatever it is we want instead of like a personal trainer, a loving father who knows how to discipline us best, knows what hardship to take us through so that we can endure the, hard, like the harder thing so that we can look to him. So yeah, if we want to endure, if we want to make it through, we want to persevere, we want to stay strong through the end, we must look to Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who has endured the cross. He is the one who's walked through the hardship. He's the one that we look to, not just for an example, but we look to, to guide us and lead us through it all. But remember also, we look to Jesus as we fear God. You must look to Jesus as you fear God. This fear isn't, as we, you may have heard before, it's not just being afraid, like just being scared of God. It is a, a healthy awe of a majestic power unlike any other. It's all right, awestruck. It's kind of when you're, you're, you look to him and, and realize he has all of the power to do all that is needed. So think about this, consider the wrath of God. When you think about this fear, consider the wrath of God, right? It is intense, isn't it? It's not just like a light thing. The wrath of God is not some trickling stream. It is a raging white waterfall. Look at verses 18 and following. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That's the wrath of God. That's, that's pretty intense. Don't even touch the mountain where the presence of God is. Think, think of how this chapter ends, verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. That doesn't sound light. Does it? This isn't like um, our God is a candle. 
keeps the light on in the room. No, he is a consuming fire. When I consider the wrath of God, it is not just that it is intense. It is that it is unmistakable. Look at verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. It's unmistakable. See, our, our God, the one true God, is creator and sustainer of all things. He made you, designed you, intricately woven in the mother's womb. We, however, have messed up our relationship with this masterful creator, right? I said messed up. We have sinned to destroy that relationship. We've, we've severed it through sin, through disobedience. And so Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Son of God, came as a substitute for the punishment that we deserved for severing that relationship. And that punishment was death. So Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He defeated death and hell and the grave and sin by conquering those things and rising again. Our task is to simply place our faith and trust in him, turn away from our sin and ourself and trust in Jesus. Believe in him, look to him. His, his wrath is headed our way apart from his grace given to us by our faith. Trusting in him. This wrath is unmistakable. But I want you to consider the kindness of God. Look at verse 22. This kindness is so good. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Oh, it's good, right? It's, it's better. Remember how last week we talked about how Abel, we, we, in fact, we talked just briefly about him uh, and how he, he had, it was by faith, Abel makes it into the hall of faith, and it was by faith that Abel gave the right sacrifice. He gave the right sacrifice. He brought, he brought not just food and grain. He brought, he brought a lamb. He knew that a blood had to be spilled. But Jesus, he brings the better sacrifice in bringing himself. His blood speaks a better word than what we had seen before. His kindness, his grace 
something that we do not deserve. Getting something good, right? His kindness is undeserved. Look at verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Church family, when we think about all that we have been given, when we think about the grace upon grace that has been poured out to us, if you, like, if you are in the family of God, then by that alone, you have a grace that is unmatched. You have been given salvation. If you're breathing today, he deserves your praise because he made you, designed you. See, therefore, let us be grateful. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. I wonder, will you expect, uh, accept the undeserved kindness today? Maybe you today are here as a guest. You're a friend of, maybe you're a friend of a friend. Maybe you've been here several times and you've heard this truth, but you keep trying your own way. You keep trying your own plan. You keep trying to, to do it yourself. You just want to be better, work harder. I tell you to turn away from yourself. Turn away from your efforts and your ability and look to Jesus. Turn to him. Trust in him. I wonder how you need to respond today. Some of you have more questions about that. What does it look like to turn to Jesus? And I would tell you that here to my left, there will be some there that would love to, to talk with you. You can find me after the service. You can find others that would love to, to answer questions that you might have about that. Maybe, maybe you are one who has a sin that is weighing you down. That, that burden. That's, that you've, you have forgotten. That you've been set free from. Maybe you've forgotten that you are no longer enslaved to that sin. Because if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. You are no longer enslaved to sin, shackled or handcuffed to them anymore. Instead, you are set free to live without that, to live in the holiness of Christ. Maybe it is that you, you need to take that almost like an object lesson and you need to, to physically move yourself to your knees. Maybe you would even use these steps and you would come to this altar simply to say, maybe just one of the, a word. You can't even get the words out of, of what you need to confess. Remembering what we said earlier, that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And maybe you would come and you would just say, Jealousy, covetousness, gossip, slander, adultery, anger. Maybe you would come and kneel down and just say, worry, 
doubt, fear. Maybe, God, I, I don't know what else to say, but to say, I know I'm, I'm disobedient. Maybe you would just take this, this time to, to say that to him. I confess my sin to you, God. It's not because he doesn't know. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement of your need for him. God, help me. I want to look to Jesus. I want to look to him. Maybe you need to ask God to give you some of that divine discipline. God, help me. Let me get back in line. Maybe you're thinking, I want to be held accountable in a, in a different way than maybe I have before. I want to be a part of a family of faith that, that cares for one another in this kind of way, that checks on each other and cares for each other and holds each other accountable. Maybe you would make your way to this room and say, we want to belong here. We want to be a part of the Colonial Heights family and, and be held accountable for hard things. You might not walk this alone. Whatever the case is, we should respond to God in reverence and awe. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our adoration. And so as we respond today, whether it is on our knees or on our feet with hands lifted high or in another room, may we give him the glory that he deserves. Would you stand with me as we respond?